Welcome to episode 24 of the Everyday Sense podcast. I'm Jack Richardson, joined by Brennan Parks. Brennan, we uh, we had a busy, busy weekend last week. This is gearing up to be a quieter weekend, hopefully, or maybe not even hopefully, but just it, it's seeming that way. It's been a quiet week since the Debrinket trade on Sunday night. It's Friday, July 14th now. So how are you doing on this uh, Friday morning that we're recording? I'm doing well. Yeah, it has been quiet. Uh, I know we thought there might be a subsequent move there after Debrinket got, uh, got traded. We thought Doria had a little... Uh, joker up his sleeve and he was going to pull out of Vladimir Tarasenko or something like that but nothing not even a, a single rumor here where we've been totally radio silence Pierre's out golfing he's enjoying his time off now um no but I, I don't know I mean we had a lot of excitement there last weekend so maybe a break is good I think you know there was a ton of content to produce we had the huge live stream and we did a bunch of stuff so uh yeah again thank everybody for like for subscribing we keep growing and I know it's been super active on Twitter and stuff too so uh, it's been a good week, but yeah, I think a break was uh, was warranted for the organization and for the content creators and the fans. But uh, you know what? I'm ready to get back into it. Like, give me a, a surprise signing here. Yeah, well, you know what's funny? It, it, they took a break on the ice, so it might seem like Pierre Dorian took a break, but I don't think that was the case at all because Monday, as we were recording episode 23, uh, Anthony LeBlanc left the organization and it was by his own uh, choice, by all means. And not that Dorian would be involved in that, but the following day, after Dorian goes in studio live early in the morning with TSN 1200, I guess goes back to the Canadian Tire Center and fires Trent Mann. That's essentially the what happened. It was Tuesday morning, and he did that interview on Tuesday morning. So something's up there, obviously. But yeah, so that's that's the big headline this week. So so stuff did happen. Uh, we're just a little bit far removed from it, but had some time to soak it in. Um Trent Mann was one of two assistant GMs. Obviously, they still got Ryan Bonus involved. And he was appointed last year, uh, I believe in June of last year, with Ryan Bonus at the same time. So just a little over a year after he was hired as the or promoted, I should say, as the assistant GM, uh, he's let go. And you can't mention this without his mentioning his brother, Troy Mann, who was let go in February um, with with a lot of accusations and and. Um, I believe we, I, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to speculate or whatever, but basically the facts are what we all know right now is that the Sens fired Troy Mann in February, a bit of a surprise move. And obviously Troy was the head coach of Belleville for the last few years. He's a brother. Yeah. He's brothers with Trent. Um, and they fired him and then it came out at Claire Hannah reported that her sources say that, uh, Troy was leaking information to other NHL teams um against like leaking game plans or whatever it was and nothing more came out for troy but allegedly what we're hearing now also is that because he's still under contract next next spring i believe when it's up is when stuff will hit the fan uh and the word wasn't stuff right so um i to me this is linked to that it has to be because uh we'll talk about it in a bit but i think trent man did a fantastic job uh drafting essentially like he's he's as responsible for this rebuild as pierre dorian is no doubt in my mind so um what were your thoughts when you heard the news because it was a a bit of a shock just one two punch i think a lot of people assume maybe it was just with michael landlauer same thing as anthony leblanc but this one felt different yeah i think leblanc was more so anlauer wanting to bring his own people in kind of i don't like there was no hard feelings between leblanc and the organization i don't think uh the man thing my initial reaction was a little bit of surprise. I know the Troy firing was also met with surprise. I mean, I didn't think nobody thought that would happen. The Man Brothers have kind of been touted as these 
uh, these supreme figures in the Sens organization over the course of their rebuild. Like they've been very, both of them were very pivotal. I mean, even Troy Mann and Belleville, he did great work with Batherson and Norris and Formanton before that whole thing happened. Like he's he's done really good work with the Sens prospects. Um, so when he got fired out of the blue, and no, Belleville hasn't been great, but like the AHL is largely a development league, right? Like you don't typically, I mean, they didn't need to fire him based on his on-ice results. The whole thing there with the team, like we'll find out what happened, I'm sure, eventually, um, probably in a, in a while from now, like you said. But um, Trent Mann being fired is more interesting. And obviously, Chris Stevenson, too, reported of TSN or wherever he's at now. He reported that um, there was Trent Mann was banned from the Canadian Tire Center, essentially, um, for the last like several months. And what that means, and he was at development camps and stuff, but Chris Stevenson said that he wasn't allowed into his office which is just straight up bizarre like he wasn't allowed to do any work at the ctc he had to do everything from home and do all of his scouting at home it's very weird and very complicated and i'm sure there's a million moving parts behind the scenes that we don't even know about um it certainly sounds like there was a relationship between troy being fired and then trent being you know around the team and it just kind of was like a conflict of interest a little bit like it was it was this awkward sort of thing um that could have had negative effects on the organization or on the man so um Regardless, you don't want to speculate too much, obviously, but uh, it's just like you, you have to kind of talk about it because we don't really know what happened um, behind the scenes. But regardless, yeah, Trent Mann, I think he do, he does deserve some credit for the drafting he did. Uh, certainly, I think we can talk about that because it was a hot topic on Twitter, but uh, he does deserve it regardless. Like this core is in place and yeah, they hit on top five picks a lot of the time. But at the same time, like a lot of teams have missed on top five picks. So like Montreal Canadiens, number one there. <laughs> yes, very cockney. So uh, I think Trent Mann does deserve his his dues, but at the same time, uh, this is a very complex situation, and like I'm excited to see kind of who who steps up here next and what they continue to do in the front office. Regardless of Mann being fired, I think LeBlanc leaving tells you that they're going to keep making changes, right? Like Ann Lauer is going to be here to bring his own people in and have a whole influx of change uh, this summer before he takes over. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'd imagine they keep it pretty like the same now I, I would i'd be surprised if they get rid of ryan bonus um in general to be honest like i, I really do believe he'll he'll kind of stick around regardless I, I think if you do a top to bottom you know overview of, of the organization and everything i feel like his track record in the league and where he is now in the last year when he's been with the sends uh is pretty good like I, I would say that that's fair enough for him i think but i, I do think that he's been the the Belleville GM. I, I'm putting quotations yes, on that yeah. just because That's it's part it's of his always, role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what Trent was doing, but but it's it's confusing when you have two. It's not very common to have two assistant general managers, even though it's there's two assistant coaches and all that. It's usually just maybe a special assistant like Jason Spezza um, in Toronto last season. But honestly, other than that, I, I it's weird. It is weird, and and. As much as I'd like to think that, yeah, this probably would have happened anyway when Ann Lauer gets his own people in, Steve Steos comes in, all this. Um, and I keep saying, like, it's going to happen. Like, let's be real here. Uh, that, that's going to be the guy. I'm just, I'm just, the writing's on the wall, I think. They, they have so much history, but we'll get into that at a certain point. But um, it's weird. The locked out of the office thing in the Canadian Tire Center, that's, that's strange. Um, and it feels very Melnicky. And I, I say that meaning, when Eugene Melnick was was still at the helm and, and very much involved. Sounds like something that came out in that big uh, deep dive that Ian and, and The Athletic did a couple of years ago, just or about a year ago, about Melnick and just how everything kind of um, 
you know, the work environment. Right. And, and I've said it on, on this show before and, and I'm, I've obviously been quite hard on, on the Senator's general manager right now and Pierre Dorian. And part of it to me is just the, the accountability of managing people. That's, it's not just managing a hockey team. You got to manage hundreds of employees, right? You're the boss. And it sounds like by all accounts, this is another example of it just not going well. And I don't know. It's hard to speculate before we actually know everything that happened, but let's say this Troy man speculation and report that came out or information because I'm not, and again, like we got to be careful because Claire Hannah reported it at the time. That's not, it's not her fault. That's information. If, if, if the team's giving her that information and or her source or whatever, and, and I'm going to guess it's coming from the team. If the man camp isn't happy about it and, and wants to take, some kind of legal action, whatever it is in, in the spring next year, then good on her for doing that because that's information and that's an absolute story. Just mentioning her name because it came out and, and she was the one who reported it. So if, if that's the case, then that's a big problem, right? Because that's not, you can't hang that on Melnick. A lot of stuff with Dorian has been, oh, you know what? He's been way better since Melnick passed away and he's he's been out of his shadow, doesn't have the, the claws all over him, doesn't have someone peering over his shoulder. but uh, this is this is without him, and I don't think you can really deny that if you're kind of trying to if people are trying to defend Dorian. Um, again, though, we we don't know, which is frustrating and tough. But to me, I'm just so excited for stuff like this to stop. It doesn't happen on any other NHL team in the league. It's bush league that stuff like this keeps happening, has been happening for years. Um, so I'm I'm just over it, and I think a lot of Sens fans feel the same way. Yeah, I certainly do. I mean, that was kind of my my main point, actually, my main takeaway from the whole thing. I don't know if anybody noticed, but I didn't really tweet a whole lot about it. I'm usually pretty active on Twitter. Didn't even make a post about it on Instagram, um, like a, like an actual post. I put it on my story. Didn't write an article on it because honestly, like I'm just done with it. Like I'm done with all the turmoil in the organization. Like I don't know about fans or subscribers, but I, like personally, I would not want to read about like nonsense like this anymore. I mean, I don't want to. When I go on Twitter, my whole timeline is negativity about the organization and how much of a mess they are. At this point, like it's been six long years. I am so ready to not have that negativity. Like if we want to be negative about the on ice product, if they're underperforming or something, fine. But I just like I'm I'm kind of past the point of ripping into the organization because like even if they deserve it, I just it's it's we've been doing it for a long time now. And I think that like you said, it's it's just exciting to think that with Ann Lauer coming in, we're going to kind of be done with this, hopefully. Um, it sucks that this is still happening, and of course, with the whole potential lawsuit thing, it really sucks that we might hear more about it in like a year from now when when uh, Troy Mann's contract is up. Um, hopefully, that doesn't come up and be a big thing and a big downer at the time, but uh, it certainly could. So, it does suck. Uh, Trent Mann, regardless, I think both Mann brothers will land on their feet. I know there was a report report that Troit Man. Oh my God, these these are some tongue twisting names with a lot of mans going on. There was a report that Troy Man, um, he was set up to, I believe, have a a coaching interview with the San Diego Gulls of the AHL, and it got nullified because of the report that he shared team information uh, in Belleville. So like, <laughs> the sensor, if if they did provide that info, they better be careful be and, and be correct because. Uh, now we're talking about like career changing and life changing events, right? Like that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in potential work. So uh, yeah, regardless of what happens, I'm sure we'll find out eventually. Uh, but like I said, I am just past past this whole Bush League stuff. And I know 
you've been big on this. And, and before we get into the next segment, too, I actually thought of something else we should talk about, which was Pierre Dorian's presser that he did earlier this week, which you talked about. I have a few like things pulled up about it. Um, what did you think of that? Because you've been very much on the train of, listen, Pierre Dorian, uh, we, we can like him for certain things, but he's not very good with the media. And he says a lot of things that he shouldn't say. And he kind of backtracks on his words. Um, did, did you have any takeaways from that kind of presser? At, uh, he was in studio at TSN 1200 on, I want to say, Monday or Tuesday. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? You know what? It was uh, it was good. It was good. And I, I'm not trying to sit here and nitpick everything he says because that's not fun. And obviously every GM is going to slip up every now and then. No one's perfect. People are just not perfect in general. Um, but I thought it was good. It was good. Uh, you know, I didn't I admittedly didn't listen to the entire thing because I it was early in the morning. Like we both mentioned, we woke up and just I read all the the quotes and everything. And I I listened to certain things. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting time and and you know I'm, I'm not to bring up the trend man thing again but it's it's fascinating to me that it's an in-person interview trying to make like I, I again I'm, I'm trying to not just rip into him but the in-person part of it is important because he could have just done it over the phone but going in person I think is trying to him trying to be like look I'm trying to whatever I'm it, it's important it's a better interview it's more personal and then he goes back to the Canadian Tire Center and fires his assistant GM on the same day. That's that's fishy to me. I think it's absolutely fishy. Why do it on Tuesday? It was a snap decision. It was Monday night that Steve Lloyd got the information. I know TSN 1200 found out that night that he was going to come on the next morning. Um, it's not a coincidence, and that's fishy to me. So interview itself was good, uh, but it's posturing. And I think that as the general manager of the team, of uh, the you know, the biggest sports team in the city. Um, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like that at all. Uh, but the answers were good. It wasn't anything. I don't think anything groundbreaking came out. He kind of just confirmed stuff. We knew that they were in on Tarasenko and that's all he could say about it. Um, stuff about uh, uh bring Like I, th- I think honestly, quite honestly, and I, I, I know some people might not agree with this, but the bring stuff, I, I, I completely believe him. I, I dr- truly believe that Dabrinkit kind of handcuffed them and it sucks, but, and it's kind of within Dabrinkit's right. But at the same time, in that context, I think they made a pretty good trade. Well, one interesting thing I thought about Dabrinkit, and of course we have to, and I do think Dorian was being genuine, but um, one interesting thing was that they said a lot earlier this summer that Dabrinkit was going to come to them with a decision um, by the draft. And it seemed like that kept getting postponed because if I remember correctly, Dorian kept saying he hasn't given us a decision yet. So they couldn't move him. So they had to keep waiting, waiting, waiting. In, in his press conference with TSN 1200, his little media scrum, Dorian said that he got from Dabrinkit's body language that he was not going to re-sign um, at their end of year meeting, which is interesting. And, and the way, and I didn't listen to his whole thing because I just did not, like I was kind of bitter, but Dabrinkit met with Detroit media the day after he was traded. And from the little quips that I heard, it certainly sounded like he, he was saying he was never going to re-sign in Ottawa. So it's interesting to me that he waited and kind of forced them to wait until the draft to get a decision. And then they kind of had to rush to trade him because I don't know, maybe, maybe there's more behind the scenes, but from what he said to bring it to Detroit uh, and he did this over zoom with Steve Eiserman too. Uh, and he, I think his words were like, we weren't in Ottawa long enough to want to stay there long-term. He said something like that, which is weird. And it's a weird way to say it, but that kind of comes across like all season. He was willing, like he kind of knew that he wasn't going to stay. In which case, like, why not just tell them at the end of the year, yeah, I'm not going to resign. So they have all this time to actually work on something. 
Because Dorian repeatedly said that, that he was waiting on a decision from for Debrinket and that he couldn't really do anything until then. And then that played a part in handcuffing him as well. So that was interesting to me. Um, he did also confirm the Tarasenko thing. I've just got some notes pulled up, but he, there was a lot kind of that he said. Um, I know, yeah, like you said, in regards to the handcuffing with Debrinket as well, he basically said that Debrinket only would go to Detroit. That's kind of the way he didn't directly say that, but he kind of worded around it and beat around the bush. And it was kind of easy to read between the lines of him saying that we had other offers on the table that we liked, but like the whole contract thing kind of screwed us. And I don't think to would have accepted the, the same contract he did in Detroit in other places. I think that was kind of a, I want to go home to Detroit type thing as well. Um, so that was interesting. He also said, we're excited to get Kubalik. He only had seven less goals than to which is interesting because the other day he said, well, Debrinket is probably going to score 40 next year. So he's kind of going against his own words there, but uh, not a huge deal. I thought he was pretty professional. He didn't say anything too crazy. The one thing that did stick out, though, that was a hot topic was that he said when asked about expectations, he said, I'm not going to make any bold claims. I think this is the last thing he said. Do you remember the quote? I don't have it up. I think he said, I'm not going to make any bold claims uh, and I'm not going to say we're going to be a playoff team until training camp or something. Something along think, those I think, lines. I think the the words were, "I am going to save the bold claims for training camp." Uh, so, oh, and he said, "Let's play meaningful games in April." Was were his words, which I don't like, but I'm not gonna get too angry about it. Listen, that could be a second round. I mean, that's that's <laughs> still uh, meaningful, but um, yeah, that stuff just and and I I said it on Twitter. I had a little quick thread just on my thoughts and stuff, and um, Steve Lloyd asked a question, obviously, and I understand that it's a tough question to ask or to answer sorry for for dorian and that's why steve asked it it's a great question because the sound bites that this man has has given us over the years how can you not ask that question if you have him in studio um but yeah it was it was more of the same last year he did the same thing he's like ask me in september ask me in september um i think at the time he was planning on making a chicken trade didn't come didn't come to fruition so then he says let's play meaningful games uh, at the trade deadline um, and now he's just kicking it down the road a bit saying, let's play meaningful games in April. So look, it, I'm not, I'm not bothered by it, but it's still, it's still annoying. Like it's, it's the same thing. And I, it actually got attention from other fan bases. I think, um, I want to say Jesse Pollock from bar down. He's, he's a, I don't know if people are familiar with bar down. They're kind of a non-conventional media outlet. I, I would say they're a branch TSN. of TSN. Yeah. Yeah, they're a branch of TSN and they do a bunch of YouTube stuff. It's actually pretty, pretty entertaining. I, I enjoy some of their stuff. And um, anyway, he, he they covered the, the entire NHL, pretty knowledgeable about everything uh, in terms of the Canadian teams. And he he was probably the biggest quote tweet I saw anyway on the on the thing saying, um, why why the hell would he not say they're going to make the playoffs after everything? Like, and, and, and he com- he's completely right. Uh, this is a team that hasn't made two first round, hasn't made a first round pick in two years. You have to expect playoffs this year. You absolutely have to. And yeah, that's the expectation. Uh, I mean, DJ Smith has said that we have to make the playoffs, right? If DJ's saying it, then it's just Pierre beating around the bush because he's nervous about people like me calling him out on uh, on all his quotes and stuff like that. So I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I thought it was a fine interview, but it's it's what happened after where I was like, oh, okay, this is weird. Yeah, the timing. I didn't even realize the timing of that, to be honest with you, that he uh, that the whole man thing happened right after that. Um, it certainly does feel like some sort of posturing and like he was going on to, I don't even know. I mean, it, it's so bizarre the way that they handle the media, especially in the way that this organization has functioned. Um, as I've said, I'm, I'm still prepared for like a full overhaul, but, uh, that isn't going to happen right now. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So I just had one more thing 
about Trent man uh, that I forgot to add. So, so the lawsuit that I kind of alluded to, if it does happen and, and it would happen next spring because Troy's contract would be up. And that's presumably the reason they didn't want Trent around just with that looming, I guess. Apparently the lawsuit is against the management team and not the organization. So that's interesting when you factor in new ownership, you can't really sue cur- like current ownership in, in the spring of 2024 because it happened in, February 2023 when you weren't when they weren't there if it's against Dory so the interesting part for me is I mentioned Ryan Bonus as the Belleville uh, general manager he was the one who faced the press conference when they fired Troy man he did the, he did the presser he took the questions so is it him is it is it Ryan Bonus and am I just looping Pierre Dorian into this for no reason like I don't I would imagine Pierre is involved but it could just be Ryan for all we know um and if that's the case, let's say Anlauer comes in and cleans house, gets his own people involved. Are they going to sue Pierre Dorian? And it'll kind of be a story because he isn't really the Sens GM anymore. It's just former stuff. Like, I'm really curious if things go well this season and Dorian's still at the helm, it will absolutely be a big deal. And if Ryan Bonus is still there too, because um, that's, that's a very realistic possibility. They could still be the management team in Feb- next February or next spring. Um, I'm just curious. I'm really curious about, about all that. So maybe in that sense, that that is something I'd I'd love to dive into and talk about when it happens. But for now, right now, because all we can do is wait. Uh, I'm sick of the off ice stuff like that. Me too. Yeah, and and I'm like I said, I'm just prepared for an overhaul here of the organization. Still, um, it, it's funny because I would be very interested to know for Ann Lauer, and and he's in a kind of a tough spot because of the wholesale delay. Like I again, I don't like blame him for not replacing the coach or GM right now. Um, but it will be interesting if they do succeed this year. Like if they make the first round and, and they get eliminated in the first round, I'm very curious to know what he does. Like, do you just, cause it's hard to fire your coach and GM after you just made the playoffs and you broke the whole, you know, streakless playoff run here. But, um, like, like, do you fire them if you make the first round or does he just stick with them and you keep rolling with them and you hope that you keep improving? Because I still have my my reservations about the fact that Smith and Dorian are the two guys to bring Ottawa to you know a championship. Um, so for Ann Lauer, I'm, I'm going to be watching that all season. Maybe we get a little more behind the scenes of what he's thinking once he takes over. But um, the plan ahead, and I guess a good way to put it would be that maybe he just lets them go to the end of their contracts, and then from there you reevaluate. Like maybe they don't even get fired, but you kind of just like look around on the market because I do think he wants to bring his own people in. That was huge during the sale process. That was like his biggest thing that we heard about was that he wanted to bring his own people in, including Steve Steos and Patrick Wall was linked. Um, there was a few other names thrown around there too. Um, so yeah, I mean, like if he does want to bring his own people in, I don't think that's really going to change in a year. I think he's still going to want to do that. And yeah, like if they get beat out in the first round, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, I think it's everyone's expectation that both guys would be gone. That would be my kind of my, certainly my expectation. But if they make the playoffs, I'm very curious to know if an overhaul is still going to come or if he's just going to kind of stick with what's here. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, do you have anything else on uh, on this whole Trent man, Pierre Doria, the organization in turmoil, like anything else? No, not really. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, contracts because I believe they're both up after this season, Dorian and Smith. So yeah, timeline-wise for Anlauer, money-wise, it makes a ton of sense to just kind of ride this year out. Even if you have to do a mid-season thing, it makes sense. But to fire them before the year, maybe it wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been a smart move right just just and and look there are merits to keeping them both i mean at this point dorian can't do much else other than excuse me other than add another defense or uh, sorry another forward i'm so used to saying add a defenseman but they're they're chilling on the back end 
Um, actually, you know what? I'm adding another segment for us. We got to talk about Jacob Chikrin. We have not given this guy enough love. And I think we both got going on Twitter yesterday about it. Uh, look, I, I think everyone in, in just Sens fans in general are overlooking having this guy on the blue line. I think we've absolutely all just forgotten that they got him because he only played 12 games for them after the trade deadline, then got hurt. Um, health issues. I don't know if I wouldn't call them health issues, but injury history, maybe injury proneness. Sure. Um, I'm so excited. I just kind of yesterday, I was just sitting back and, and thinking, obviously thinking about the Ottawa senators. When am I not? Uh, and, and his addition to me is, is just takes away from any to bring it subtraction um, just in the overall scheme of the team. I think that blue line is going to be formidable. I do too. Yeah. And Chikrin, like the thing about him is he's a big, like he's a number one guy. He's, he's averaged 23 minutes or more. Um, and, and pretty much are around that number and pretty much each of the last like three or four seasons. Um, the health thing is is important. I mean, he's, he's kind of played, you said he played 95 games over the last two years or something like that. Uh, obviously, a season's 82 games long, so that's not overly ideal. Um, but again, like if you can get 60 games out of him, 60 good games out of Chikrin this year, I think that trade is worth it. You don't need him to play all 82, but like if he can play more than half the season, that would be nice. I'm hoping that he can, you know, on a more, because again, like even this past year, uh, for the last handful of games, he said he could play, but he's not going to do it if it's not worth it, right? Like that's kind of the way he put it. He said if they got into the playoffs, he would play. Um, I'm hoping that maybe on a more competitive atmosphere, he's not going to sit out if he's kind of got something nagging. And I know you don't want a guy to push himself through injury all the time, but I feel like he is a very kind of high level competitor and he's willing to push the limits a little bit. Uh, in Arizona, he's never really had that chance. I think he's always, I mean, not always, but he's, he's for most of his seasons, he's been on a pretty bad team uh, who's been a rebuilder as well. But yeah, Chikrin, he, he, between 2019 and 2021, he led defensemen in goals with 30. The next closest had 27. Um, he was a Norris, finished 10th in Norris voting in 2020-21. He did play that whole COVID year, which I always forget because it was only 56 games long. Uh, I know you mentioned that to me yesterday because I was like, he's never played a full season. But no, he did actually play all 56 games that year. That was his career season. He had 18 goals and 41 points. Uh, and yeah, finished 10th in Norris voting. So I think this guy is someone, and we said this when we acquired him, I think that he is someone who, like, he could be a legitimate Norris candidate on a good team. I think if he's in a good situation in Ottawa where he's playing, and like, I want to know where you'd play him in their, on their defense. I think most people have their thoughts, but... Uh, I think he's a guy who, yeah, he could average like 22, 23 minutes in a great top four, and he could get probably first or second power play time, and, and he could put up a lot of numbers, a lot of points. This is a team who's going to score a lot of goals. So I think he's going to put up good numbers, but defensively too, he's a good defensive defenseman. Like people underrate that aspect of his game too. I watched a lot of film, great stick work, great skater, very physical. Like he clears the net front. He does kind of a little bit of everything, but he's like not just average at everything. He's good at everything he's a number one guy in my mind so where would you play him on their defense would you put him beside Shabbat man it's tough because I think right when they traded for him I know a lot of people were against just because of Sanders and Hamannick and that's I guess still a, a, a risk with doing this but I love the idea of having Shabbat Sanderson or Chikrin on the ice at all times no matter what that is so appealing to me um, as a coach it's appealing you can put Shabbat look Shabbat can play with Zub Shabbat can play with with uh jbd play with brandstrom like i mean i say can he just has so we know he's done it before and there's been middling results on all of them um i think shabbat zub was was their best i think you you broke it down there it was their best pairing last season if i'm if i'm not mistaken just in a certain sample size i'd imagine that sanderson zub with some footing would would be that pairing too 
Um, but again, like what I like about this decor is that because it's so set pretty much, right? It's only just JBD Hamnick that are probably going to go back and forth. Um, what I love about it so much is, is, is that they can move anyone and play anyone with anyone. If that makes sense, you can, you can put Shabbat on the third pair for all I care, because if you're rolling, uh, Sanderson, Chikorin, and Shabbat on different pairings, there's a legitimate case that Thomas Shabbat is the third best defenseman out of those three right now, right? And that's not a bad thing. That's not bad. He had a down year for sure, but having him as your third best defenseman is is elite, and I love it. So it's not about, you know, Dorian said too, and and my my favorite words these days are Dorian said. Um, but he he alluded to the fact that their top four is already set now. Yeah, in terms of skill, that's probably true. It's it's Sanderson, Zub, Shabbat, Chikrin. But Brandstrom's a top four defenseman in my mind, and he's going to be your fifth. You got JVD and Hamannick. Hamannick's a, per, a pretty good bottom pairing uh, defenseman in, in my mind as well. So you've got this ability to now allocate ice time differently. You don't need your bottom pairing playing 10 minutes a night and running Shabbat and Chikrin into the ground. You can have everyone play an equal amount of ice time at even strength anyway, right? before penalties and all that. So that's what's exciting to me. Um, so I don't know how I would, I would match up the D pairs. It's really tough because I think ideally I'd still like Sanderson and Zub together. Maybe mix, like, I don't know if I'd hate Chikrin and Hamannick. Like, I don't know. I haven't seen it enough. I in, in my mind, that seems like it wouldn't be a good thing. But if JBD takes Hamannick's spot out of camp, I, that's why I like JBD there because I like that versatility. I think he could play with Chikrin fine. And also I think Hamannick could too. It's just based on track record. I don't know if that would work, um, but I'm, I'm really interested. I really am because I think they can get creative with this, uh, this D4. Yeah. So I've been, I, I like the whole top four idea, like where you actually powerhouse top for it, but I do like the idea of putting one Shabbat chicken or Sanderson on, on the left side and then having one of them on the ice. But yeah, more so than just having one on the ice. I like the, the, the allocation of ice time. Like I've talked about how I think bringing in Chikrin is going to benefit Shabbat so much and Sanderson developing because Shabbat played way too much. I think a lot of his mistakes and his, his unforced turnovers and his just mental gaffes and, and like not even just that, but physically he looked less dynamic. Like I think a lot of that just comes back to the amount he was playing. How can you expect a guy averaging 26 plus minutes a night leading the league in ice time for like three years in a row <laughs> with Drew Doughty up there? Like those two guys, you just you, you play so much. How can you expect them to be dynamic playmakers? Like they're not um when they're playing that much but Shabbat is that player when he's playing less so I think that like bringing this in and then maybe putting one guy on the left side and having each of them on the ice it also gives the other guys a bit of a rest like Shabbat can play less minutes like if they're together they might still play a ridiculous amount of minutes whereas if he's you know Chikrin's on the second pairing Sanderson's on the third Shabbat's on the first whatever however you want to split it up I think Shabbat can play less and he could average like 23 minutes a night instead and I literally, I think he's going to be monumentally better if he's playing even three less minutes a night. It will pay dividends. I swear it will. You're going to see him carrying the puck. You're going to see him being smarter in the defensive zone. Like, he just looked so fatigued to me for a lot of the season last year. So, um, obviously, like, Shabbat, I think he he has, like you said, the potential to be their X factor and their number one guy. Like, if he's on, I think that whole team could be on. I think he could absolutely be better than Sanderson and Chikrin, too. It, it, like, when he's on, he's really one of the one of the game's best defensemen when he's on his game this past year he did, just wasn't really good enough but again I think that the ice time is going to be the main factor behind his performance um, regardless of how they split this defense up I really think it's just going to be a great defense as long as they're healthy but we talked about this too even if they're not healthy I like their depth and that's something we haven't had I love Tyler Clevin being able to come up 
right? I mean, you've even got guys like, obviously, Lassie Thompson still in the minors. You've got Gannett. These are guys who are like, they could step in on the bottom pairing and serve a fine role. They're not going to be liabilities out there. It'd be fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, Matt and Paulo too, now they've got. So I, I love their defensive depth um, and their power. Like the defense is built to be a top five group in the NHL, regardless of, of how they split it up. And even if they have an injury or two, I think they could still be that group. So I'm excited. The defense, the goaltending, it's improved. People are still concerned about the forwards, hoping they add somebody else. Our next segment, we're going to talk about something maybe if they don't. But uh, yeah, the defense is, in my mind right now, the strength of the Ottawa Senators, which is something we haven't said in like 10 years. So <laughs> that's something I'm really excited about. I, I noticed some people in the replies when we were tweeting about Chikrin yesterday just saying, uh, I know we, we've talked about it a, a couple of episodes ago, maybe maybe a couple of months ago, but um, that this is the best blue line they've had in 15 years, hands down. And we had the debate if, when healthy, is this the best that the Senators have ever had? Uh, we went through it, probably not, but at the same time, it's close. And obviously the 06, 07 groups, those have the results there. Um, but this this group that they've got assembled now has the chance to rival that. And I think that's pretty apparent. Um, what, what's what's interesting for me is going to be how they line match, right? I think Sanderson-Zub is your dream shutdown pairing. Um, but I'd, I'd imagine they can switch these pairings up when healthy. Uh, if you're on the road or at home and those are huge, huge matchups when it comes to the playoffs, right? So you have to kind of prepare for that, but the Sens struggled mightily on the road for the last, however long, four or five seasons, even when they were a good team last year, right? They struggled on the road away from home and depth is a huge part of that. So that's why the blue line being this strong is important. Uh, and we will get into the forwards in a little bit here, but you know, I think I think the idea of having Shabbat, Sanderson, and Chicken on the ice at all times would be a better option at home, actually, now that I, I'm thinking about it out loud. Um, just because you can you can get creative at home, right? You you have that extra little cushion to be like, okay, you know, I can put them out when I want and not worry about Connor McDavid shredding us or, or whatever. Um, but let's say you're in Edmonton and you've got McDavid, you want Sanderson Zub together because Actually, you know what? I'm talking myself out of it, but there, there's two philosophies, right? You could, if you have a, a dedicated shutdown pairing and it is Sanderson and Zub, I think having them on the road makes more sense just in the sense that you you force your top line, or the other team's top line, sorry, to get away from them. But then they got to run into Jacob Chikrin, right? And I like that too. Uh, so, and like, yeah, I, I'm very, very confident in this blue line. I cannot wait to see them in, in exhibition games just when they windle down the roster to the actual opening night roster, I can't wait. Um, so yeah, there's not, not really much else for me to say on the blue line. I don't know about you, uh, but, but yeah, I feel like we just needed to talk about Jacob Chickard because we haven't really, we've all just kind of alluded to him, but I think now more than ever when Dabrinkit didn't want to be here at all, just, I, I saw people posting the clip of, of Chickren in his first home game after that and doing the interview with the crowd and, uh, it's special. It's so special when a guy wants to come and play here. Also been a year since Claude Giroux decided to come home. So instead of being depressed about a guy like Alex Dabrinkit not wanting to stay in Ottawa and getting all mad about that, we'll save that for when they play the Red Wings and when the Red Wings visit Ottawa. But for now, I think it's important to just kind of appreciate guys like Jacob Chikrin and Claude Giroux who clearly love playing here and are from here and it's important. Well, Dabrinkit, there was pictures of him wearing his little Red Wings jersey as a kid, and everybody was getting all up in arms and excited about that. Uh, well, Chikrin actually had the same thing. He had a, There's a picture of him, and I've got it in my camera roll, and I often come across it, of him wearing the, the Sens jersey as a kid, smiling, growing up. So uh, obviously an Ottawa boy, and, and his uh, his mom's on Twitter too. I know 
We talked about Donovan Sobrango. His mom's on Twitter. We got the Sense Twitter moms now, and they're they're all excited and they're all like fired up about being in Ottawa. It's a big homecoming, and it's awesome to see because obviously part of the reason why these guys want to play uh, in their home cities is to be closer to their family, right? And I know that they've got and Chikrin's got. I think his sister is around the Ottawa area. His uncle. There's that picture of him uh, shortly after he came to Ottawa. He was with his uncle um, or his grandfather or somebody, and they were having like wings and and everybody was smiling. It was awesome. So. Good to see Debrinka. You go have fun and at home, but we're talking about Chicker now. We've got Giroux. We've got all the homecoming guys here uh, in Ottawa hockey. We continue to bring people up through the ranks, right? Sobrango now as well. So hopefully uh, things will work out there. But yeah, Chicker. I think just a little more to what you said. I think a big thing is is that teams can't target our liabilities now on defense. That's kind of the way you're putting it because matchups are so key. And we've had liable pairings for pretty much each of the last six years. Like every time Nikita Zaitsev is on the ice, it's a liable pairing. Like you can't, teams know where your weaknesses are, right? That's the whole point of scouting. They find your weaknesses and, and what they can exploit. Uh, and obviously for teams like Edmonton, it's really easy when you've got a Connor McDavid, if you can get him on the ice at the right time. Ottawa doesn't really have a liable pairing now. Like even Hamannick, I think if he's in the right role, he's not liable. He's fine. He can serve his defensive role at a, at a fine pace. Uh, I think that they can pretty much prevent being exploited now that they have this depth and this this power on defense. Like that's what I really like about it. I don't think we're gonna see them giving up the same amount of high danger chances that we've seen in recent years because that's been a huge problem. Like they've been as as much as our goalies have been an issue, they have been hanging them out to dry very very often. Like they've pretty much thrown them to the wolves over the last several years. Uh, and, and I think that defense is the you know the at the forefront of that. So. I don't think they're going to be giving up as many chances. Expected goals should go down, uh, and they should be a better defensive team. And obviously, too, like that, the forwards have a role to play there as well. Uh, I'm hoping that we see a little more defense out of the guys like Batherson. I know he he was very there was a lot of talk about his defensive play, but I'm hoping they really buy in this year to the defense side of things. Uh, and hopefully, though, having you know the actual good defenseman personnel wise will be a huge proponent to that as well. So. Yeah, we can get into the next segment if you don't have anything else. But uh, yeah, we should just celebrate the whole Ottawa homecomings rather than the Debrinka thing, like you said. Again, I got one more thing. You just reminded me of something. Uh, the the liable pairings thing. Yeah, you're right. They have they this. They, they, sorry, they've always had a liable pairing, and they shouldn't now because it's all so strong. But what this coaching staff needs to prove, because they haven't really proven it in the past, is they need to adapt quicker than they have. Right. Um, because yeah, this blue line's great, but you're going to have combinations that don't work. Like, uh, you know, Shabbat Chikrin might be a liable pairing one night. They need to adjust on the fly. And I feel like sometimes they don't adjust fast enough. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but I will say to DJ's credit, I think a lot of the time last year in the post game pressers, he was saying a lot, we gave up way too many high danger chances. Like they know, they know where the problem is. And also they go and get Jonas Corpusala, who I believe had a very good high danger save percentage last season, if I'm not mistaken. So. Um, I like I like the formula. It's there. It's all there. Just got to put it together on the ice, and it's up to the players at this point. So let's go into the forwards because this is probably the last thing that could the GM could do. I I, I want to be careful in saying that he needs to because I think that's kind of gonna be gonna be my vibe going into this uh, this segment here. But we're gonna we're gonna ask. Look, we want the Sens to go get another player. We all do. We need another middle six forward that's not debatable preferably top six but it's it's even debatable now if vladimir tarasenko is is a top six player because i think people are saying he's fallen off blah 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 but if you don't get him then any any, any other option is probably just a middle six option which is good though that's what they need just depth scoring now 
is it the be all and end all? Like, do they absolutely need one? And that's going to be kind of the question because they have a ton of prospects. And we talked about Trent Mann and the drafting and all of that. And it's been iffy because they haven't necessarily snagged a lot of top end talent. But when you think about it in the context of right now, they have a lot of prospects who could make the jump to the NHL in a second, third line role. You're starting to realize, oh, wait a minute. It's probably a good thing that they have seven forwards who are projected to be middle six forwards when they need a middle six forward. So Brennan, what prospect, and actually before I even ask that, who, or, sorry, do you think of the group before you even name one guy, do you think of the group they have, they should have enough confidence that one of them at least can jump in and they don't need to go make a signing right now? Well, I, I think I'd have to look at the lineup again. I think that they do have two holes right now, don't they? Um, on forward. Am I mistaken about that? If we're not penciling Ridley Gregg in, like for is Greg penciled in here? Or is he a prospect? Let's say let's say McEwen's in the fourth line, just just okay, just for for slotting purposes. Let's yeah, well, that. I mean, I I think they or, should have yeah, or McEwen or uh, Schmeckel. Let's say like okay. like one of the veteran guys. I know that Schmeckel is kind of a rookie, but I'm I'm talking about just like drafted guys and, and then well, I think that they should be fully confident that Ridley Gregg will make the jump. That that's in my mind, like I've said, I think he's pretty much penciled in. I think. Uh, Greg had pretty much the best numbers among Sens players last year in the 20 games he played. I don't know. I think he had seven points. See, and production was kind of why he got sent down too, was he wasn't really scoring. Um, but he was so good with Claude Giroux. That's the thing that really stood out to me was he was very good in like a second line role. Uh, and usually for these prospects, maybe they play a bottom six role and you kind of just fill them in. Greg is someone with offensive upside. And even though the production wasn't quite there, it was starting to seep in, and he did so well with Giroux, and he was really good on the second power play unit too, which I thought was awesome. I'd love to have him in a role like that again this this coming year. Um, for me, he's number one on the list by far. I think he's like the clear front runner. I think 80% of the fan base would agree with that. Um, I've seen a couple of people say that like he's still not physically ready, and I, I just, I don't know. I like At this point, he was drafted in 2020. I know he's a smaller guy, but ironically, he actually plays a more physical game. And watching him, like, again, I think I did a film study on him. Like, no, he's not built like your typical NHLer. He's a little bit skinnier. He's a little more frail, but, like, he's a physical guy, and he gets low. Like, he doesn't get bullied out there, I don't find. And I didn't really find that he was noticeably losing puck battles and stuff. I thought he did a pretty fine job in that regard. He's got a really good stick. He's strong on the stick, uh, regardless of his weight. So I think sometimes you have to look a little bit past the, like, what the paper says for weight and height and everything. You have to kind of look at how they actually play. Um, similarly, like to bring it through, I think 109 hits this year or something, which was like fifth on the team and he's five foot eight. Like you just have to look past those initial numbers sometimes. And Ridley Gregg for me is, is number one. I think he's a guy who you could slot in, not just as a prospect in the third line, but you could put him into an elevated role. If someone gets hurt, you could play him on the second line. You could put him with Josh Norris. Like he's a guy who can actually do things with the puck. Um, go look at the, at the preseason goal he scored, uh, two years ago or this past year where he went between his legs and then sniped it backhand top shelf on, on in Winnipeg. Like, that was an insane goal. He has skill. He has tenacity. He has flair. He has grit. He is going to be a, a really good middle six player for them, in my mind. That's kind of his role. He can also play center or the wing. He's done both. He's played center in Belleville. So he's versatile. Like, he, he can play the power play. He can play the penalty kill. He can really do a bit of everything, and he's going to give you a bit of everything. So I think he's a guy who could actually be, kind of develop into a key role on this team this year. Like, he's someone I have... Uh, in the lineup for sure. I think he would start. I'd love to start him on the third line beside Pinto uh, and then get a veteran third line right winger if possible. That's why I'd like to sign someone. But uh, Greg, for me, is certainly the front runner. But uh, who who do you have? Who's your number one guy? 
Uh, I'm going dark horse here, Zach of Stopchuck. Um, and I just like what he brings. I think he, well, you know, I mentioned they drafted a ton of guys who project to be middle six, third line guys. I think he would slot in perfectly. Uh, now, it's a lot to ask of a rookie to do that, but um, from all accounts of what this guy has done when he's come up the ranks in junior and what he did the World Juniors, right? He played that role at the World Juniors and he was an outstanding, a penalty killer. He was great. Um, I love when when Sens prospects contribute for Team Canada. It's the best. So, uh, and not to mention Ridley Gregg obviously had a, had a fantastic uh, World Juniors a couple summers ago on Donovan Sabrango's team. Fun fact: when they won gold. Um, so look, there's there's a lot of potential with this lineup. I think given the fact that they have cash space, let's say they signed Pinto to two million, they've got three ish million. Leafs are probably going to buy out Matt Murray. I would be shocked if they don't. Um, so that's another million point three, I think, that they could, they'd get uh, in cap space next season. So the the reason I'm I'm asking about this forward prospect, the reason I want to talk about this is because yeah, we pencil in Ridley Gregg. I think that's fair. Uh, and and you'd rather you'd like to sign another guy, right? Because so you you want Joseph on that fourth line. Uh, from what yeah, that yeah would, that I'd be, mean, I'd be right? fine with him playing in the third line but I think optimally if you're trying to optimize the lineup if you could add someone else like I'd love to bring a Tatar in or something and then you've got even more depth, yeah if you can fit it of course but I think well, they can me too and and for sure I obviously I want Tarasenko too I'm on that train as well but there's a hold up for some reason and I'd imagine Tatar is waiting and everyone else is waiting just for uh, uh, Tarasenko if you lose out on that sweepstake I don't want to Go make a trade now. I'm saying so. The point of what I'm what I'm saying is, I think this team can get by. I said it when they traded for Debrinket. I said it on Monday. I said it after the show, the live stream that we did on Sunday. I I think this is a playoff team, and because the reason I think that is, is I think that up until the trade deadline, with the lineup they have when healthy, I think they should be in a playoff spot, pushing for a playoff spot, whatever it is. Um, and then with this extra first they have and cap space because if they go in without signing anyone else other than Pinto, probably about 4 million in cap space, which is, which is very, very valuable uh, in, in for next season, right? That's not something we really pictured. Uh, we thought they'd be a cap team. And I guess by definition, they kind of are already since they still have to sign a couple other guys. But um, the reason I'm excited about it is because it gives you the flexibility to do something mid season, right? Where a lot of other teams, we, we saw it last deadline, um, you know, look at Edmonton. Edmonton is a good example because they needed to add a defenseman. They added Matias Ekholm, but and then they moved out futures for him. But they had to lose Tyson Berry, who was, yeah, they upgraded with Ekholm for sure. But they had to move him, and he was he was the power play quarterback on the best power play of all time. That's not an easy move to make. So my point is that most playoff teams, when they move at the deadline and make moves at the deadline, have to move money out somehow. And if the Sens can somehow not move money out when they end up making a deadline move as they push for the playoffs, I think that'd be massive if they can do that. So that's where a Travis Konechny comes into play to me, right? It's it's not a, and yeah, I guess technically then they'd still have to move out money, whatever. I know people are going to get on me for that, but um, that, that's what's exciting to me. So I, I like Ridley Gregg in that spot. I would like to sign another third line guy for sure. Um, but I think if they sign Tatar, let's say, and then Ridley Gregg makes it, I don't think another prospect's going to make that lineup. I think they're just going to roll with McEwen, Smekal, whatever, on that fourth line to see how that goes. Um, I mean, hey, for all we know, Smekal could be the top six forward they've been missing. I don't know. You never know how it's going to fit. I think it's not good to bank on that, but 
look what happened with Zub. He's a top four piece right now, and he go, he was scratched the first eight games of, of his uh, NHL career. Yeah, I think the key is just hoping, hoping, and you could bank on it, I guess, but hoping that like at least one or two of these guys steps up, and that includes Mikhail. Like, like if if one or two of them can step in and actually be a legitimate NHL player, you'll be in a good spot. And yeah, I do want to add a veteran for sure, but. Like, I'm big on Angus Crookshank still. I think he's a guy who could make it. I honestly think he could play on the fourth line right out of camp. They still have Parker Kelly in the wings. I know people aren't very high on him because he didn't produce at all this past year. I think he's on a one-way deal, though, potentially, and, and he's someone who could be a scratch and come in like a McEwen role, too, uh, maybe if there's injuries or something. Like, they have a wealth of guys, and we've said this, who are bank like knocking on the NHL door. They're right there. Like, do you think Tyler Boucher will play games this year? Like, over-under, does Tyler Boucher make his debut? Do you think so? Yeah, hundred percent. I think yeah. he will. I think. I think. He, I don't think he'll start the year in Ottawa, but I think he'll knock on the door. They'll give him a game or two, kind of like Sokolov did this year. Sokolov's another guy, though. They don't have a contract for him. He just switched agents, uh, which is sort of a theme in the NHL right now. But um, yeah, he's another guy who who I would would perfectly slot in a third line role if he can get proper ice time and stuff. And I believe you know last year I liked what I saw from him. He barely played, but I liked what I saw on that third line. I think I think he'd be a great fit. Look. It's just, it's just the, the reason I kind of wanted to bring it up is because there's a lot of talk that, you know, I put up a poll, um, and, and it was, it was a couple of days ago, but I said, as of July 12th with the depth chart and roster, as it is, are the, are the Ottawa senators, a playoff team next season? Uh, it was really, really close. It had just over 2,500 votes and 53.5% of people said yes. So pretty tight, but still, I, I say, I think when it's that, that amount of people, that's a convincing uh, majority, right? Um, that think that they are, but it's still also 40 whatever percent of people don't think they're a playoff team now and they need to add something. I don't agree with that at all. I think it's, I think it should be much more of a disparity. Like I think this is a playoff team, but it's questions about, you know, depth needs to get you too uh, far in the playoffs, right? That's, that's the question. Um, and yeah, obviously it helps you get there, but a lot of teams ride on top players and then get to the playoffs and then just kind of fall off. It happens all the time everywhere. So that's, that's kind of the standard of the sends are at right now. And just listing all these guys who can come in and are going to be hungry for NHL. None of them had a full-time NHL role. Even Ridley Gregg didn't really have a full-time role last year. Like all of these prospects are going to be starving for NHL time. Um, Angus Crookshank's a great, great uh, piece. Cause I think he could be a great third line NHL player. Like it's, there's a lot of options, which is exciting. And I think that's why I wanted to just caution people who say they need to go sign another person because I really don't think they do. You know what's going to be really exciting this year is the rookie development camp and watching um, not just that, but like the prospect games. I think that was a big point last year. I think like Crookshank might have even captained a couple teams that year. Like, I don't know. I always find those very interesting when they have the little scrimmages and stuff because now it's, it's going from, okay, these are our prospects. This is exciting. In a few years, we could see these guys playing. This year, it's going to be like, you're competing against each other. Like you're on the same team, but you're competing against each other to earn a spot. Cause the sense have, maybe you look at it and you say they've got two available spots for prospects. And then obviously guys can like your player all year. You're going to be competing against each other to play when guys get hurt. And when people go down. So I think those are going to be some really interesting games to watch in an interesting camp uh, as development camp was, but that's kind of the more, a lot of the more future guys. That's the rookie camp's going to be more like guys who could actually be making the team. So I think that's going to be awesome to watch. Um, Yarventi is another one we didn't talk about, but he hasn't played any NHL games yet. He's been a, a key in Belleville for a while now, uh, and he brings a lot of offensive flair, which the Suns could potentially need if someone gets hurt again. 
Uh, obviously, if you if you lose Norris, things become very interesting with the prospects because somebody's going to have to step up and they're going to have to replace his offense. Um, that's interesting. Obviously, too, they signed those two-way guys. Like, they signed Matthew Highmore, um, Boko Imama, which I think Dorian even might have referenced and said that they, they might play games. Like, I think he said both Highmore and Imama are, like, guys who are going to be competing to play NHL games even though they signed two-way deals. Um, because they both bring something, and they've both played NHL games before. I think Kaimor was actually in Vancouver's lineup for quite a while, a couple of years ago. So, someone to watch for sure. Um, Belleville and themselves looks a lot better this year. Just looking at their lineup, they added Boucher and Ostapchuk, but they signed a few, obviously Sobrango too, uh, signed a few guys. Jorion Donovan's going to be playing there too. That, that, they've got a nice looking lineup. Matt and Paolo will probably play there. I'm going to watch some of their games this year, I think. They were pretty bad last year, but they've got a deep lineup. It's going to help Ottawa. Uh, Sokolov, like you said, is someone who I liked him in his eight games. It's so hard when they don't produce. He scored the one really nice goal, but when they don't produce, people just look at the numbers and it's like, eh, like they're kind of underwhelmed. If you actually watch Sokolov, he looked a lot better this past year than he did in previous years, I thought. Uh, skating is still his biggest thing, but it looked like far improved than, than it did the previous year. So I think they have a wealth of prospects. Like we said, as long as one or two of these guys steps up, like, if really Greg becomes a full-time NHL player and he's actually good, and then Angus Crookshank steps into a fourth-line role and he's actually good, or Schmeichel or somebody, you're going to be in a good spot. And if someone gets hurt, you're going to be in a better spot than you were with Dylan Gambrell, guys who cannot contribute at all. I think they've got prospects who can actually step in and contribute now. So I'm excited. I think rookie development camp is something to keep an eye on this year. It's not just about the pipeline. It's about guys who could actually be playing games right now for the Ottawa Senators. So keep an eye on that. Um, and yeah, this is in my mind, regardless of where their farm system ranks right now, this is really exciting to have these prospects because they're guys who are knocking on the NHL door. Yeah, it's exciting times. Um, I think we can wrap it up there. I think we've uh, we milked everything there. We kind of came into this episode with two things planned. We we pulled two other ones out of our out of our hat without uh, uh, even kind of prepping for it before, which is good because I think I think it kind of put us on our heels in a good way. So. Um, all right, that's it for episode 24. We are on the road to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. We are almost at 800 actually now. We've grown a lot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the coverage won't stop. I mean, I know if, if the Sens take a take a break here and don't do anything like we were kind of just talking about, they don't really need to. Um, if Even if they do, we're going to be here. Uh, Mondays and Fridays, members pods coming out for people subscribed to everydaysends.com. Um, and if you would please just like the YouTube video, subscribe to the YouTube account. It takes two seconds. Just press the little button uh, and you'll get notifications when we post our, our, our podcasts. If you're listening on the audio, just go ahead and come look at our, our beautiful setups. I got a nice sense flag behind me. Brendan's got the Shabbat King of the North uh, poster back there. I love it. And uh, the, he's got another one. I can't really see, but it's just a nice little Tim. edit of, of it's Tim. It's <laughs> obviously it's Tim. So we got some nice stuff behind us. If you aren't on the YouTube page, come subscribe. Uh, so that's it for episode 24. We'll see you guys on uh, Monday. I guess that'll be our next episode. So thanks for watching.